0: Good evening, this is Rabbi Duvi Ben-Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, with the opportunity to spend with you the next 45 minutes to an hour. I'd like to start with a berachah kedarkenu bakodesh over the Odo radio. I don't know if you... Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Sha Amen. In Sefer Shemot, there is an incredible phenomenon, and in how year after year, we read and we talk about, again and again, the ten makot that were brought onto to Mitzrayim. But here is something to think about. Did Boreolam Olam really need to bring ten makot in order to get the result of bringing Klal Yisrael out of Egypt? any one of those Makot would have done the trick, Kelal Yisrael could have left, Paro would have given up. Let alone Makar Bechorot, E bore Olam would have started with number 10. If each of the firstborn of Egypt was slain on the night of Makar behorot that Makah in itself would have gotten the result of Yitziat Mitzrayim. If that's the case, why did Hashem have to bring ten makot? Why couldn't He just brought makat bechorot? And if you think about it, you see in the beginning of last week's parasha that even on the other makot, makat arbe, Paro comes running and he screams, Moshe, take this death, this mavet, out of Egypt. You don't think that if Moshe Rabbeinu would have turned around and said, Paro, the locusts don't go until you let us go? Of course Paro would have let us go. So why did Hashem have to bring ten makot to Mitzrayim? The job could have been done with one. And once we're asking questions, I'd like to put out there another novel question. There is a sefer by the name of the Bahag, the Bahag was from the Kadmonim, from the times of the Geonim. The Bahag, very interestingly, when he names the five books of Moses, the Hamishai Humshe Torah, listen to the way he calls all and each of the five Hamishai Humshe Torah. Sefer Bereshit, he calls Sefer Bereshit. Sefer Shemot, he calls, he calls, he calls Sefer Sheni, the second book. Sefer Shilish Vayikra, he calls that Sefer Hakohanim, because it talks about the Korbanot. Bamidbar, he refers to a Sefer Pikudim, because that's the book of Numbers when Kalal Yisrael is counted. And sure enough, Sefer Devarim, the Bahag refers to as Mishneh Torah. And all the rabbis want to understand. Bahag. How come? For each one of the Hamisher Chameshe Torah. You have a specific name. Bereshit. When it comes to Vayikra Sefer Kohanim. Bamidbar Sefer Pikudim, Divari Mishneh Torah. All of a sudden it comes to Shemot. And what does he call it? Sefer Sheni. Book Two What's going on? Why doesn't he give Sefer Shemot a name? B gives a name, Vaikra he gives names. but when it comes to Sefer Shemot, he calls it Sefer Sheni, as if to say, this is part two. So, one way or another, either give all five books names, or give each one of the five books numbers. But to give some names and one number, what was the depth in the understanding of this bahag? We're going to find out that this all ties in to the brilliant phenomenon of the ten makot of Mitzrayim. But here's a novel idea. Here's something to listen to to see the ten makot, maybe in a way that we've never seen it before. I'd like to introduce to you the incredible Yisod of the Sefer Tzror Hamor and maybe more popular the world knows this in the name of the Maharal Miprag. The Maharal teaches us a new idea, a new concept where yes, the Ten Makot they were there to punish the Egyptians. They were also there to deliver to Egypt Exactly eye for eye, measure for measure. The way they made the Jewish people suffer in slavery. That's exactly what they received back in return through each of the ten plagues. But says the Maharal, there's a much deeper and a much more brilliant idea behind the ten makot. You see, when Moshe Rabbeinu came the first time in front of Paro. He said to Pharaoh, I am here to represent the Jewish people. I am here to represent Hashem. Hashem said that it's time to let the Jewish people out of Egypt. It was at that moment that Paro made a mockery. He tried to make a joke out of Moshe Rabbeinu and the mentioning of Hashem's name. Said Paro, Mi Hashem, Asher Shamayla. Who is this Hashem that I should listen to? It was at that moment, says the Midrash, that Paro took out his book of gods. And he started to finger through the pages. And he actually made a whole mockery and a whole scene, trying to make a joke joke out of Moshe and Aharon in front of his ministers, saying, let's look through the yellow pages, let me see if I can find this God, Hashem. I never heard of Him. And it's because of that that Boré Olam said, Paro, you tried to make a joke out of me. You tried to make a scheme as if you never heard from me. Now I'm going to prove to you and through you I'm going to show the whole world, along with Egypt and Paro himself, that I am the Hashem that created the world and that runs the world. And unlike the Egyptians, who had a God for every different department in creation, they had a God for water, and they had a God for food, they had a God for animals, they had a God for weather, says Borei I am the one who created this world, and I am the one who all-inclusively runs this world. The one and the only one. And I'm going to prove it to you, Paro, and to Egypt, and to the entire world. Do you know how? I'm going to prove, I'm going to prove it all through the Ten Makot. And how is that? Because the Mishnah Mperke Avot writes, Asara Ma'amarot Nivra HaOlam. Hashem, in Bereshit, when He created the world, He created the world through ten declarations, ten ma'amarot, ten speakings. Through those ten declarations, ten ma'amarot, that God created the world, Hashem comes back now and says, "Paro, I am going to now bring ten makot to prove that I was the one that said the ten ma'amarot of creation. And through each makkah, I'm going to prove that I have dominion over that part of creation. Each makkah will correspond to another of the ten ma'amarot. Open your hearts. Listen to this genius and incredible yesod in the Maharal. Says the Maharal, what was the first of the ten declarations of creation? The first was the word Bereshit. And because of that, what was the tenth Makkah? Makat Bechorot. Makat Bechorot corresponded to Bereshit. Bechor is the Reshit of the family. Here Hashem proved, through Makat Bechorot, that I was the one who declared Bereshit. What was the second of the ten declarations of creation? The second speaking of God in creation was Vayihi Or. Therefore, what was the ninth Maka? Choshech. Come, Paro, look. The way I brought light into the world in creation is the way I can take it out by demonstrating darkness. Makar bechorot. What was the third of the ten Ma'amaro that God created the world with? Tadche Ha'aretz deshe. Allow the greenery, the grass, the leafy substance, the vegetation to come forward from the ground. Therefore, if that was the third of the ten speakings of creation, what's going to be the eighth Maka Arbeh. The locusts that are going to wipe out all the greenery and all the vegetation of Egypt. Take a look at this brilliance. Ten makot, proving the ten ma'amarot that God declared in creation. Come paro, I'm going to show you now who I am. I'm going to prove to you and to the entire world that I am Hashem, the one of creation and the one that continues to rule the world, and this goes all the way down till the end you see because going all the way down to the very first Makkah Makkah which will correspond to the final and tenth declaration of creation and what was that last dibor of creation what was the last ma'amar of creation it's interesting that there, there's a machloket the Zulnagaon says that the last of the declaration of creations, the tenth ma'amar Ivraha Olam, was the creation of the woman. Because right after Adam, man was created, from him, the final creation, woman, was created from his limb. And therefore, the woman, the last cry out for, de- for creation, she corresponds to the first of the makot. Dam, what is the connection between the creation of woman and dam, blood? The Gemara'an Kidushin tells us that every child has three partners that bring the child into the world. The mother, the father, and Hashem, Bore Olam. Says the Gemara, the father gives the white, the mother gives the red, and Hashem, He gives the soul. Says the Gemara, what does that mean? Explains the Gemara Kiddushin. The father gives the white. He gives the bones. He gives the skeleton and structure to the child. The mother, on the other hand, gives the red. The mother gives the blood to the child. Well, there it is. The mother represents the blood of every human being. She was the last declaration To be created. The woman. And therefore she corresponds to the first of the Makot. Which is the makah of Dam. Brilliant. Says the Maharal. Hashem. Through. The saga. Of the ten Makot. The ten plagues. Hashem was actually. Recreating the world. Right in front of Paro. The Egyptians. And the entire world. Yes. These parashiot are really about creation, take two. And it was there that the world was to witness, on the stage of the superpower of that generation, Egypt themselves, that Hashem was the one who created the world in the beginning of time. And here, through the ten makot, He proved that He was the one that said the ten mamarot Of creation. This is incredible. With this in mind. Says the Maharal. Along with the Tzoror Hamor. An amazing thought. To demonstrate. That these ten makot. Creation take two. It was true down to the finest detail. And I'd like to demonstrate this to you. Something that I tell you the truth. Many years in Yeshiva, I'd like you to walk up to a person that you know, even a learned person, and ask, what is the translation and the proper definition of the word Bereshit? You'll be very surprised what people will tell you. Before I give you the answer to the word Bereshit, I need to ask you a question. Did you see that when Torah was telling us about the ten makot in Egypt, the Torah built up one after the next. We're starting from dam Svardea Kinim arov, Deveshin barad, arbe, choshech. Here it is, the last of the makot, the grand finale. Here is the moment of truth. We're about to come to the last makam, makat bechorot. And what does the Torah do in Parshat Bo? It stops. And it takes a 10 second advertisement and goes off to a completely different topic. And the Torah begins to speak about HaChodesh Hazelachem Rosh Chodashim. Asks the rabbis, Is this a place to talk about HaChodesh Hazelachem? We just came from Makkah number 9. We just left Egypt hanging in darkness. We're about to come to Makkah number 10. We're about to come to the grand finale, Makkah Bechorot. Is this the moment that we are to break and go off to a completely different topic? Talking about the concept of HaChodesh Hazelachem, that for now on, the year doesn't start from Tishrei, the year starts from Nisan. Is this the place to talk about it? Right before Makkah Bechorot? The answer is, says the Maharal genius, makad b'chorot, corresponds to the first of the ma'amarot of creation, bereshit. And now I'm asking you that question again. Go over to somebody and ask them, what is the definition of the word bereshit? 99 out of 100 people will answer, Bereshit, definition, in the beginning. And if that's the case, you are to turn to them and say to them, if that's true, then how is it that in every day we say, Baruch She'amar, one of the stanzas, we say, Baruch Oseh Bereshit, blessed is the one that has done in the beginning. That doesn't make sense. And if Bereshit really does mean in the beginning, then how do you explain in Aleinu L'Shabeach, Latet Gidula Li Bereshit? We're going to give splendor and greatness to the one that created in the beginning? That doesn't make sense. Says the Vilna Gaon and the Mahara Miprag. The true definition. Behind the word Bereshit is not in the beginning. The word Bereshit means time. Bereshit bara elohim. God created time. You see, without time, there's no concept of beginning or end. Without the concept of time, there's no concept of Reshit, the first, or Aharon, the last. All those terminologies of beginning and end, first and last, is measured by time. And therefore, what was the true first creation of the world? Bereshit, bara Elohim. God created time. And that's how we have a concept of reshit, the first one from the beginning of time. Hashem is not held to time. Hashem came before the world, and He will be here after the world of time. Hashem is not limited to time. He's l'ma'alam in hazman. He's above time. He can see the beginning. He can see the end in the same, in the same look. But we are held to time because the first creation, Bereshit, was the creation of time. Bereshit corresponds to Makat Bechorot. And a Bereshit actually means the creation of time. And now in Egypt, through the Ten Makot, God is recreating the world again. Part 2. So now when it comes to Makat Bechorot, which corresponds to Bereshit. what does he have to first do? He must recreate time. That's why, right before Makad Bechorot, the Torah takes a break and tells us, HaChodesh hazeh Rosh Chodeshim. It's time to reset time. I'm going to recreate And reset time as you know it. Where from now on, you're not going to count the the year starting from Tishrei. From now on, you're going to count the months of the year. You're going to start time new. You're going to start from Nisan. Now that we recreated time, Bereshit, and now we created it again, part two in the Makot, now we can go to Makat Bechorot. Because now, we can go to the Makkah that actually corresponded to Bereshit, Makkah Bechorot, the Reshit of the house, now that we recreated time. This is a brilliant concept from the Maharal. This brings out the light of the Ten Makot in a way that maybe we've never seen it before. We're literally, now you understand the brilliance of the Bahag as well. We said that the Baha'g called Sefer Bereshit, Bereshit. But what did he call Sefer Shemot? Sefer Sheni. That's right. Because Shemot is actually Bereshit, part two. This is creation, round two. Where do you find that? In the Ten Makot, corresponding to the Ten Maamarot that God created the world with here in front of Paro's eyes, I'm going to create the world again to show him who is Hashem, who actually was the creator, and who runs the world. It's amazing that the Hafez Chaim writes in his book, about Israel that not just in Egypt, but also in the final Geulah, in the redemption, the Geulah Krova, that we are still waiting every moment and we literally can feel it coming and we're so close. The Hafet Chaim writes that just like in Egypt, Hashem recreated the world through the ten Makot and brought those Makot, those plagues down on Egypt so too in the final Geula, Hashem again is going to bring back the Makot that He says is suspended in the air, waiting to come down on the Oivim of Klali Yisrael. Waiting to come down on the enemies of Klali Yisrael. And that phenomenon of the Tenmakot will be brought back again. Bikaro In the final geula as Don't forget and you must remember. In 1938. Rebel Hanan Wasserman. Zechet Sadik Lebracha. From the Gidolim of Europe. The Talmid Muvhaka Hafez Chaim. He came to America. And there in the Broadway Central Hotel in New York City, he brought together all the rabbis, the American rabbis in New York. And the rabbis were pleading, Rebel Hanan, please, don't go back to Europe. The writing is already on the wall. We can see what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. Nazi Germany... What's going to be with the Jewish people? Rebel Hanan, don't go back. It's suicide. Rebel Hanan Wasserman, he turned to the American rabbis there in the Broadway Central Hotel and he told them, you might be right. And I know that I have to go back. I know that there's a tremendous darkness coming on to the world. I heard from my Rebbe, the Hafez Chaim, My Rebbe told me years back that he realized that Shamaim was hiding something from him. He said that he felt the darkness coming onto the world and Shamaim wouldn't tell him what it is because heaven knew that if there would be Megale to the Hafetz Chaim the oncoming danger of the Holocaust he would have prayed and he might have been Mivatel de Gezera so they held it and hid it from him. But I know I have to go back. What is a shepherd without his sheep? What is a Rebbe without his Talmudim? My students, my yeshiva, they're back in Raden. I have to go back. But before I go back, before I give my life, I have to tell the American rabbis that I heard from my Rebbe, the Hafez Chaim, that in the final Final moments before Mashiach. The great war of Gogumagog will be broken out into three parts. The Hafez Chaim told me that the first part of Gogumagog will last for four or five years, and then after that, there'll be a little bit of a break. And then again, the second part of Gogumagog will last for four or five years. And then there'll be a much longer break. And then the final part of Gogumagog will be the one that will usher in the coming of Mashiach. I heard from my Rebbe, said the great Rebbe Chanan Wasserman, I heard from the Hafez Chaim, that in the first two parts of Gogumagog, Klali Yisrael will always have a place to run. There'll be a Nish Eret They'll always be in Arem Miklat. They'll be a place of a safe haven that we'd be able to run away to. Klali Yisrael will be able to be saved once again. But on the third round, the third part of Gogumagog, there'll be nowhere in the world to run. Today we look around and we see what's going on. Belgium, France, Japan, the entire Europe. What's happening in Israel today? You have to think for a moment. These are the moments of Ikvitad de Mashiach. What does the Gemara and Chelek and Sanhedrin say? Maya Se Adam, What should a person do? And he finds himself in this moment, right before the coming of Mashiach. What is the ticket to get through these times? The Gemara says two things. And two things only. Yasok bat Torah ube hasadim. Either we have Torah or we have Gimilut hasadim. It's one of those two or better both. That is the ticket through Heble Mashiach. Through the times that we're living in now. How could someone fall asleep after the news day in, day out crackles new and more frightening sometimes. Inspiring happenings over the world that's meant for us to wake up. How is it that we don't take it to heart? I was just in Israel only a week and a half ago. I was there dropping off my wife in one of the hotels to meet up with my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. And as I walk in, suddenly the security... They close up the front doors, lock it down, and they lock down the entire hotel. And I turned to the security, and I said, what's going on? i got to leave. He said, no, no, didn't you hear what happened? And it was at that moment that I saw that one of the ambassadors of Japan was there in the hotel. He was scheduled to meet Bibi Netanyahu, but only for 25 minutes. But now, after what happened on that kidnapping, they met for four and a half hours and when the Japanese at that meeting, their faces were white. And you had to see the looks. This is the time of Heblei Mashiach. We're holding now so close. Said the Hafez Chaim. This is the time. The time we're waiting for. Gemilut Hasadim and Torah. Here's the time that Bore Olam has all the Makot ready. It's just waiting for us to be Zochetu. One of the great Gidolim, recently somebody told me in the name of Vilna Gaon, but this is something I'd like to check up. One of the great Gidolim said, yes, that part one and part two of Gogumagog will only last a few years, but part three, the third round of Gogumagog. It will last for only a few minutes. Once upon a time, we couldn't understand how a war could last for a few minutes. But today we can understand such a concept. And exactly the way the Chafetz Chaim originally told it to us, those were words of prophecy. World War I, part one of Gogumagog actually lasted for four or five years. And then there was a small break, and then came World War II, which again, part two, Gogumagog, lasted for four or five years. And then there was a long streak, and a long spread of time. And here we are on the brink, the moments before the third part. I remember years ago, when I was in Yeshiva in Eretz Israel, there was a Kabbalah that went around the Israeli yeshiva world and this was said over in the name of the Hazonish that back at the time when Israel became a state and they, they came to notify the great saint the Gadol Hador in Israel, the Hazonish the Hazonish listened and they said that he turned and he said yes, there's about 70 years between the time of the second and the final step of Gogumagok. Ladies and gentlemen, this past week, on January 27th, was the day of the 70th year liberation of Auschwitz. Only a day or two ago. 70 years ago, this week, the death camp of Auschwitz. Aye, the stories, the stories that they say over of how this was one of the largest living cemeteries in World War Two, and how you listen to the words of the survivors how they tell over about the crematorians and how they talk about the gas chambers and these survivors are only a handful left but we need to listen to those words because here we are 70 years later after the end of part 2 Gogumagog World War 2, and the end of the Holocaust. Bore Olam should have Rachmanut give us the strength to continue to be Marbitz Torah, continue with great Gimilut Hasadim and to find the sacrifice and the Mesirut Nefesh to be able to continue to build our Torah, our Yeshivot. It's not about how much we're learning. It's about how many we can get to learn as well. Today more than ever. You want to hear something about the sacrifice. The Jews on their way into Auschwitz And what they were doing. And how much they gave. They died so that we may live. They died with sacrifice. So that there could be a Kalali Israel. That may continue. I'd like you to hear this story. Told over by an eyewitness. As the trains pulled up. Right in front of Auschwitz, the death camp. And it was there that everyone piled out from the cattle cars, and they were made to line up in a row, right in front of the doors. And on top of that famous entrance, there were the words, the deceiving, lying words, Arbit macht frei. Trying to elude, trying to give off a feeling that this was a work camp, when really this black smoke coming out of the crematorium up above told the true story of how many were going to be murdered in this camp alone. They are standing on a long line. There were many Jews, not knowing the impending danger. And there was a woman standing on the line as well. And this woman suddenly breaks off the line and walks all the way up to the front, right to the Nazi soldier, and as if she had no fear in the world, she looked him right in the eye. He begins to yell and scream at her, Get back on line! You know what it is if you get off of line? You get shot immediately! Get back on line. But that didn't faze her. She didn't even blink. As if she didn't hear a word, she continued to stand her ground. And she looked into the soldier's eyes. And she said to him, do you have a knife? The soldier looked at her. His face turned red. And then he began to smile. You see, the Nazis, ihr Shemam, had a certain enjoyment of watching the people they were tormenting torment themselves. He thought that maybe the woman is asking for a knife. Because maybe she wants to take her own life. This was something he would enjoy watching more than taking. So he smiles. He reaches into his uniform. And he pulls out a knife. And he hands it to her. And he says to her, go ahead. Do it. And She takes the knife. And tears start to roll down her cheeks. And she opens up her coat. And she reaches inside, and she pulls out a young little infant, a newborn baby. And the baby begins to cry, a little baby boy. She opens up the baby's diaper. She takes the knife. She looks at the Nazi. She looks back at the entire line of Jews with their jaws dropped, watching and waiting, not believing their eyes what they're about to see she closes her eyes and she screams at the top of her lungs and she says Baruch Atashem Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kidishanu Bemiswota Vesivanu Al Hamila Baruch Atashem Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam Lach Niso Shel Abraham Avino and she circumcises and gives her child a brit Mila right in front of the eyes of this Nazi soldier. It's there that she looks up, holding, cradling this baby in her arms. And she looks up to heaven and she screams out, Hashem, I did my part! I gave my son a brit Mila. Now it's up to you. Now it's in your hands if my son is to live or not. She closes the blade. She hands it back to the soldier. The Nazi, with his mouth wide open, could not believe the spectacle he just witnessed. And she very normally and genuinely walks back onto the line, puts the infant snug back inside her coat and stands back on line. This was the sacrifice of the Jews of yesteryear. This was the sacrifice of the Jews that went through the concentration camps. But they stood straight and strong. For Kalali Israel and for the honor of Bore Olam. They died as Jews so that today we can live as B'nai Torah and as Jews. And here were final moments on the week of the 70th liberation, the 70th year of the liberation of Auschwitz. And we got to stop and ask ourselves what is our sacrifice? What purpose are we serving for Klali? Yisrael? Am I learning enough? Am I doing for others? Do I have a Mesirut Nefesh in me to be able to bring the Geula a little bit closer? This is the calling today. We see what's going on in the world. What are we doing for Klali Yisrael? To be Zoché to that great moment of the coming of Mashiach. I can do more. I must take the lesson of the Nazis, Yemach Shemam, and apply it, because that would be the greatest revenge to Germany. You see, because the great Ribshach, Shach, Zechet Sadik Lebracha, when he came to the old city to visit Reb Noach Weinberg, Zechet Sadik Lebracha when Reb Shach heard about the Kiruv Mo- movement and the yeshiva of Esh, Esh HaTorah, Reb Shach came to visit the yeshiva. Reb Shach walked in. He saw the Baletishva, Teshuvah, and he saw how they were learning, and he saw how many there were. And this was so many years back. Today, the numbers are beyond counting. Reb Shach looked around. And he got emotional. And he stood up in front of everyone. And he announced, if one person could murder six million, then one person can definitely save six million. That one person is each and every Jew today. We can do our part. We can bring Klal Israel that step closer in the moments that counts more than ever. Now is the time. We could be Zohcheh, like the Chafetz Chaim, to see that moment where Borei Olam is going to bring back the Ten Makot again in the final Geulah on the Oivim of Klal Israel. We can be zochet to a Mashiach b'mhera Amenu. But we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing and you know what the answer is? Let this be a burst of inspiration. What did they do to us? To stop us? That's what we're going to do to bring Mashiach. Take a lesson from the Nazis. If there was one word to size them up it was persistence. They were so persistent. They were on time, they were organized, and they continued to better their mission every moment of the way. I'm sure you saw those historical videos of Auschwitz and the concentration camps. At first, do you know what the gas chambers looked like? It was a room that was actually hooked up to the back of an exhaust pipe of a truck on the outside. And as the Nazis ran the truck, the CO2, the carbon monoxide, came into the room and would very, very slowly eradicate and kill the people in that room. The Nazis felt that wasn't quick enough. They didn't feel that their mission was as effective as they'd like it to be on the final solution. They didn't stop. They persisted. till they started experimenting with gases. And after that, little by little, year by year, they perfected their death camp. They didn't give up on their mission, did they? Until the liberation, they were trying to finish what they felt was their purpose what we have to take as persistent as they were to kill Jews is as persistent we must be to save Jews how they never abandoned their mission, how they always worked at it to make it better and stronger and quicker and faster and more effective that's the way we need to be operating today how could we bring back more of Klal Yisrael What can I do more for Klal Yisrael? How can I learn more? How can I make my time more effective? How can I do for Klal Yisrael that I can make a difference in the change of bringing a Geulah? That's the heartbeat of an American Jew today. It's on our shoulders. Here we are 70 years later, knocking on the echo of the third part of Gogu Magog... Here's the moments before the coming of Mashiach. Ikvitad Mashiach. We need to stand up now and be counted. We need to do for Klali Israel. Walk out of these words, asking yourself, "I'm gonna be persistent. I'm gonna up my game. I'm gonna better my mission. I'm gonna start learning for real. I'm gonna start looking out Gimilut Hasadim." I'm going to get through Ikvita de Mashiach. I'm going to be an important piece of the puzzle for the coming of Mashiach. Thank you for listening. We should be Zohe to the Geulah to see the Ten Makot in our days on the Oivim of Klal Yisrael and to be able to rejoice with Melech HaMashiach. B'mhera Amenu Amen. This is Rabbi Duvi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham. And I thank you again for your time and your listening.